Good day, and welcome to the Nucor 2023 fourth quarter earnings call. All participants will be in listen-only mode. Should you need assistance, please signal a conference specialist by pressing the star key followed by zero. After today's presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To ask a question, you may press star, then one on a touchtone phone. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. Please note this event is being recorded. I would now like to turn the conference over to Jack Sullivan, General Manager and Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to Nucor's fourth quarter and year-end 2023 earnings review and business update. Leading our call today is Leon Tapalian, Chair, President, and CEO, along with Steve Laxton, Executive Vice President and CFO. We also have other members of Nucor's executive team with us, including Dave Samusky, Chief Operating Officer, Al Baer, responsible for plate and structural products, Brad Ford, over fabricated construction products, Noah Hanners, raw materials, John Hollitz, bar and rebar fabrication, Doug Jellison, corporate strategy, Greg Murphy, business services, sustainability, and general counsel, Dan Needham, commercial, Rex Query, sheet and talent resources, and Chad Udemark, new markets and innovation. We've posted our fourth quarter earnings release and presentation to the Nucor Investor Relations website. We encourage you to access these materials as we will cover portions of them during the call. Today's discussion will include the use of non-GAAP financial measures and forward-looking information within the meaning of securities laws. Actual results may be different than forward-looking statements and involve risks outlined in our Safe Harbor Statement and disclosed in Nucor's SEC filings. The appendix of today's presentation includes supplemental information and disclosures, along with a reconciliation of non-GAAP financial measures. So with that, let's turn the call over to Leon. Thanks, Jack, and welcome, everyone. I'd like to begin by congratulating our 32,000 Nucor teammates for delivering another strong year of financial results we closed out 2023 with solid performance, earning $3.16 per share in the fourth quarter, on our way to $18 per share for the full year. This represents the third most profitable year in Nucor's history, behind 2022 and 2021. In fact, Nucor's combined net earnings over the past three years exceeds the combined net earnings of the last 20 years. This is a testament to the focus and dedication of our team as we execute our strategy to grow the core, expand beyond, and live our culture. In keeping with our commitment to shareholders and our balanced approach toward capital allocation, Nucor invested $2.2 billion in CapEx and returned $2.1 billion to shareholders in 2023, representing 46% of our net earnings. We're coming off the three best years in Nucor's history but in spite of that, we're even more excited about what lies ahead. The U.S. economy continues to be resilient, and steel-intensive megatrends are starting to drive increased demand for the products we make, and our focus on expand beyond businesses downstream are generating excellent returns. Turning to our safety performance, 2023 statistically was the safest year in Nucor's history, making five straight years of improvement. 
we also had 29 divisions going the entire year without a recordable injury. We finished the year with a company-wide injury and illness rate of 0.79, which is 17% lower than 2022 and well below the steel industry average. However, with that said, Nucor will not internally acknowledge 2023 as a record year in safety, will not celebrate 2023 as a record year because on November 3rd, we lost a Nucor team member to a workplace accident. Subsequently, on November 9th, we had a company-wide safety stand-down. It was a chance to honor our fallen team member and his family, reflect on our most important value, safety, and reinforce that the health, safety, and well-being of every Nucor team member is what matters most. Our team members come to work each and every day to support themselves, their loved ones, and they must go home each and every day. That is our greatest responsibility to all 32,000 team members who make up our Nucor family. Every leader inside of Nucor is committed to delivering our mission to become the world's safest steel company and there is no doubt in my mind we will achieve our goals together. Nucor is the largest and most diversified steel producer in North America. We pioneered the commercial application of EAEF steelmaking over 50 years ago, and today we own and operate 30 electric arc furnaces with four more under construction. EAF steelmaking and our unique entrepreneurial culture have made us the industry leader. And our current strategy will keep Nucor out in front as we continue to deliver the financial results and capabilities our investors and customers have come to expect. Today, Nucor leads the North American steel industry across financial, operational, and environmental criteria. Value creation for shareholders through prudent capital deployment is our primary financial objective. Since the beginning of 2020, we have invested over $12 billion in CapEx and strategic acquisitions to grow our core and expand beyond. During the same time, our average annual ROE has exceeded 30% and our annualized EPS growth rate has exceeded 40%. In terms of operation, Nucor makes approximately one out of every four tons of steel produced in the United States. We have a highly efficient business model and our unrivaled breadth of products and capabilities serve the widest range of end markets. Sustainability is a key differentiator for Nucor and a major part of our growth strategy. We are the largest recycler in the Western Hemisphere and among the lowest in greenhouse gas intensity across global steelmaking. And we're taking steps to position us even better for the future, supplying customers with the sustainable solutions they've come to expect that's why we helped create the Global Steel Climate Council and announced a commitment towards net zero steelmaking by 2050 across scopes one, two, and three. Our business strategy and investments are driving growth for shareholders. In raw materials, we are leveraging our market intelligence and flexible supply chain to provide more sustainable inputs. We're investing in advanced scrap separation technologies and near zero emission iron making. And we've partnered with ExxonMobil to capture and store up to 800,000 tons of CO2 per year at our Louisiana DRI facility beginning in 2026. In our steel mill segment, we are shifting the mix toward higher margin, value-added products. We continue to ramp up Brandenburg, the most capable EAF plate mill in the world. 
We're constructing a state-of-the-art sheet mill in West Virginia, and we're expanding our rebar micro mill footprint, targeting some of the highest growth regions in the U.S. Turning to steel products, we have a strategic advantage on the supply side given the integration between our mills and steel product teams. We'll continue to leverage this advantage while pursuing more cross-selling and companion tons through our solutions teams, and we're investing in automation and technology to improve efficiency and reduce the risk of injuries. And finally, our Expand Beyond strategy into a steel-adjacent platforms is paying off. We are leveraging our core competencies to grow into higher margin businesses aligned with steel-intensive megatrends. We're executing this strategy through a combination of acquisitions and organic growth, including the construction of two new utility structure production facilities. For 2023, our Expand Beyond platforms contributed roughly $415 million in EBITDA, led by overhead doors and insulated metal panels. We remain confident in hitting our $700 million EBITDA run rate goal for Expand Beyond divisions in the coming years. We believe the American steel industry is still on the front end of megatrends working their way into steel markets. We are starting to see some increased activity in certain markets like bridge and highway, semiconductor chip plants, EV factories, and renewable energy. And, as we've shared before, Nucor expects the federal programs that support these megatrends to add somewhere between 5 to 8 million tons of incremental annual demand for steel over the next several years. While the long-term trends look favorable, we've seen some pockets of slower-than-expected activity. For instance, adoption rates for electric vehicles are tracking lower than some have predicted, and several offshore wind projects have been canceled or delayed due to supply chain challenges as well as higher costs. Warehouse starts are expected to decline again in 2024, but we still expect them to stay above pre-pandemic levels. And despite some of these near-term headwinds, Nucor remains optimistic about the longer-term prospects for these end markets. Non-res construction is our largest end market, and it is proven to be incredibly resilient. Some of the strongest growth is coming from the sharp rise in advanced manufacturing and infrastructure investment, both expected to rise double digits over the next two years, according to Dodge Construction Forecasts. This is helping to offset some of the softness we're seeing from more rate-sensitive sectors, which should begin to pick up later in the year if interest rate cuts occur, as many expect. Before turning it over to Steve, I'd like to share a few thoughts on how Nucor's business model continues to deliver attractive returns for our shareholders. From 2020 to 2023, we've generated a combined EBITDA over $30 billion, net earnings of nearly $20 billion, and returned nearly $10 billion to our shareholders. Throughout it all, we've maintained the strongest balance sheet of any North American steel producer, allowing us to grow the company by investing in higher margin, less volatile businesses. As our results demonstrate, Nucor is a growth company, and given our investment plans and the long-term outlook for steel in the U.S., we see more opportunities for growth in the years ahead. With that, I'll turn it over to Steve, who will share additional details on our financial results and near-term outlook. Steve? Thank you, Leon, and thanks to our shareholders for joining us this morning. Nucor ended 2023 on a strong note, with fourth-quarter consolidated net earnings of $785 million, including $127 million of pre-operating startup cost. 
We exceeded the midpoint of our guidance due primarily to better-than-expected performance from our steel mill segment in the month of December. In addition to solid earnings for the quarter, the power of Nucor's business model allowed us to generate more than a billion and a half dollars of operating cash flow during the quarter, with working capital contributing about $250 million of that total. Turning to our operating segment results, our steel mills group generated $588 million of pre-tax earnings in the fourth quarter, a decrease of 33% from the third quarter. Total steel mill shipments declined 4% from the prior quarter, and realized pricing for the segment was lower across all major products. Our mill utilization rate was 74%, down from 77% in the prior quarter, but higher than the 70% in the fourth quarter of 2022. In the back half of the fourth quarter, we saw an uptick in customer confidence as the UAW strikes were resolved and the Federal Reserve signaled the end to interest rate hikes. Shipment volumes increased as the quarter progressed and we began to realize higher pricing for sheet steel consistent with pricing trends in the published indices. We're expecting further improvements in both shipments and realized pricing to favorably impact results in the first quarter of 2024. Our steel product segment delivered another strong quarter with pre-tax earnings of $656 million. This represented just over half the total segment earnings for the fourth quarter and is the sixth consecutive quarter with steel products contributed at least 40% of our total segment earnings. For the year, steel products generated segment earnings of $3.4 billion, its second best year behind 2022. Realized pricing and margins continued to moderate in the fourth quarter but on an earnings per ton basis for the full year of 2023 only gave up about six percentage points. Our raw material segment posted a pre-tax loss of about $14 million for the quarter. Compared to the prior quarter, pricing was relatively stable, but output was lower and per ton cost rose due to planned outages at our DRI facilities. Now, turning to capital allocation, with $2.2 billion in capital spending and $2.1 billion in shareholder returns in 2023, Nucor once again demonstrated a measured and balanced approach to its capital deployment. With respect to our shareholder returns, it's worth noting that next week we'll pay our 203rd consecutive quarterly cash dividend in the amount of $0.54 per share. This represents a 6% increase over the prior dividend. As Leon highlighted, Nucor has taken meaningful steps to grow its earnings power and cash flow potential. Since 2018, we've been able to increase our dividend by 42% and reduce our shares outstanding by 23%. For the foreseeable future, we remain confident we'll continue to be able to return at least 40% of our net earnings to shareholders by way of dividends and share repurchases. A cornerstone of our capital allocation framework is a commitment to a strong investment-grade credit rating and liquidity that enables our strategy. Nucor's balance sheet remains well-positioned to enable continued execution of our balanced capital allocation philosophy with a debt-to-capital ratio of 25% and a debt-to-EBITDA ratio of less than 1. We have a long history of putting capital to use and returning capital to shareholders. Given that principle, and our ambitious growth plans, we do expect to end 2024 with a lower cash balance than where we started the year. We finished 2023 with a strong cash position for several reasons. First, with more than $7 billion of cash from operations, we generated robust cash flows throughout the year. Second, we experienced some timing delays in our planned capital spending. 
And finally, we were preserving liquidity for possible acquisition opportunities, which ultimately did not materialize. Now that we've broken ground in West Virginia, the pace of our capital spending should accelerate. For 2024, we expect total capital expenditures of approximately $3.5 billion, with our seven largest growth projects representing approximately two-thirds of this total. In addition, we're firmly committed to growing our portfolio of solutions and expand beyond footprint through value-creating acquisitions. To that end, we are actively fostering a pipeline of acquisition candidates. As always, we will be selective, opportunistic, and disciplined in our approach. But unlike our organic growth strategy, the timing and size of potential acquisitions is far less predictable. Looking ahead to the first quarter of 2024, we expect consolidated earnings to be higher than the prior quarter, with improved performance from the steel mills and raw material segments, partially offset by weaker earnings from the steel product segment. For the steel mill segment, we expect quarterly earnings to increase due to higher realized pricing and higher volumes, in particular from our sheet mills. In the steel product segment, we expect lower realized pricing compared with the prior quarter. Across most of our steel products groups, current backlogs are consistent with historic norms, while margins have remained higher than historic averages. For the raw material segment, we expect modest profitability on higher shipments and relatively stable pricing. Looking ahead, 2024 appears to have a more stable outlook than may have been expected just a few months ago, with a reasonable probability of seeing the much-discussed soft landing. As Leon mentioned in his opening remarks, the U.S. economy appears relatively healthy, with inflation and unemployment metrics continuing to trend favorably. Market expectations for gradual declines in interest rates could result in more demand for consumer durables, light vehicles, and increased activity across a broad construction sector. As the most diversified producer of steel and steel products with the widest array of market solutions, these potential expectations bode well for Nucor. Looking beyond 2024, several steel-intensive megatrends are only in the early stages. While economic cycles will continue to impact the markets, we broadly see positive demand drivers that provide a constructive backdrop to Nucor's midterm growth potential. With that, we'd be happy to take your questions. Operator, if you would, please open the line for Q&A. We will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star, then one on your touchtone phone. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing the keys. If at any time your question has been addressed and you would like to withdraw your question, please press star, then two. Our first question comes from Kurt Woodworth with UBS. Please go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Um, Good morning, Leon and team. And I'm sorry to hear that you guys lost a team member um, in November, but overall congratulations on what's been a pretty strong safety performance the past several years. My first question um, is more in-market related. So in, in your slide deck, you did have a constructive, generally constructive outlook to use your words with regards to commercial construction as well as infrastructure. Um, but when we look at the, the volume performance of the, the bar and beam mills and even plate to some degree, it's been it's been pretty choppy to, to down for almost two years now. So I guess, you know, what what gives you confidence that um, that market can inflect? What what signs are you seeing in terms of either increased bidding activity on the highway bridge side or, you know, how your order book is shaping up? 
Yeah, Kurt, I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off. Then, you know, if there's any other comments for our team, I'll certainly let them jump in. And thank you for your, your, the condolences regarding our team member. As we've mentioned for decades now, the health, safety, and well-being of our 32,000 new core team member family is the greatest responsibility we all bear each and every day. They are the ones that are delivering every result we're about to talk about. So, again, thank you for acknowledging that. You know, it's interesting. There's a lot of talk about new capacity, particularly in the sheet, and we get a lot of questions, Kurt, as you know, around, well, as we think about new market entrants or increased um, demand, won't that flattening of the cost curve change the profile and earnings? And what I would point to is what you really asked about, the longs, as we look at structural and while we don't break out the individual structural mill, Nucoria model, or Berkeley Bean uh, on a financial performance where the individual rebar mills, I would tell you the performance of our long products divisions has been incredible from a financial result. They're generating incredible returns for our company. Um, Newport Yamato is, is operating at a much higher utilization rate. And so over the last two or three years, and they had been 10 prior, I, I think, you know, prior to the pandemic, our average utilization rate at NYS, for example, is in the upper 60s to low 70s. That's shifted much higher to the mid to upper 70s, low 80s. And so, you know, that, that flow through and that run rate is generating great returns. So I would tell you the, the outlook and continued demand for our structural products and long products remains pretty optimistic. And again, we've seen incredible, incredibly consistent returns in our long products divisions and groups that um, we think will continue into 2024. Perfect. This is this is Dan. I'll give a little perspective on what we see in the markets, um, in particular with the funding programs as well. But, you know, if you think of the trends right now, we're seeing activity in some of the reshoring, the advanced manufacturing. So you're seeing it in EV, battery plants, those types of things. Uh, from a standpoint of IRA chips and the Infrastructure Act, there's more activity going on on the energy side with the IRA and, and also with the chips. We're active in shipping to uh, multiple chips uh, plants that are under construction today. From an IRA standpoint, we've seen a lot of activity in solar, um, particularly you know, 2023 was a record shipment year for us on torque tubes that go into these solar projects. Um, and we see in that growing into 2024, it was about 22 gigawatts built in 23. We see it going to, 20, to uh, about 36 gigawatts in 24. What I would say is some of the headwinds, we see the peak of those um, activities in the volume and demand coming in the, in the next few years. And the reason for that, there's a couple things that are, that are uh, headwinds in that. One is we've talked about on path calls is labor constraints. That's real out there. Um, a lot of these projects are competing for the same labor pool. So we do see that having an impact. And then the other thing that's also impacting the pace of these projects is really around um, regulations. And what I mean by that is getting access to energy for some of these plants is important. That's a slow process. The other thing is environmental permitting. So we're seeing some um, headwinds with those, but not just delaying the projects. And you know, lastly, around the infrastructure, you know, it can take upwards of 18 months to go from when these projects are announced 
actually when they start getting shipped. So that's why we we still see some optimism and and are very positive in the outlook and we're well positioned to take um, advantage of all of these trends going forward. Great. And then just as a follow-up for steel products, you noted um, incremental pricing weakness in, in the quarter. Can you just comment, can you give any more specificity around, you know, how you see margins trending in this quarter or, you know, the, the margin profile of the backlog? And obviously there's a lot of moving pieces within the steel product segment, but do you, do you have a view on, you know, where margins should normalize? And then with respect to, you know, getting up to that 700 million EBITDA number, can you do that organically or will you need to acquire as well to reach that? Thank you, Investor Blog. Yeah, Kurt, that, that's a lot to unpack in there. What I would tell you on the macro, and I'll let uh, Brad Ford share a little bit more of the details, couldn't be more proud of how our products groups and teams and divisions have performed over the last several years. The non-res sector of our economy has remained incredibly resilient. Um, we had 10 straight quarters over a billion dollars earned in that business on the downstream side of our or portfolio. And while it, it was a little bit under that in 2023 or Q4 of 23, um, it, its continuing performance is strong. We're seeing order entry rates that are strong. Um, as we move into Q1, we see that moving upwards. I'm not going to get detailed on the margins, but we see that improving. And so, hey Brad, maybe uh, provide a little bit more context to what we're seeing as we enter 2024. Yeah, thanks, Leon, and thanks for the question. Um, like Leon, I couldn't be more pleased with the performance of our downstream product teams, uh, the performance and safety, the clear step change in earnings, and the solutions and value we're providing to our customers, and our team is executing extremely well. You know, Joyce & Deck tends to get a lot of the headlines, um, and, and while Joyce & Deck is coming off its second best year ever, uh, Nucor downstream products is far more than, than just Joyce and Deck. Uh, for example, our insulated metal panel group is coming off a record year. Rebar fabrication, record year. Pre-engineered metal building, second best year ever. Our tubular products group, second best year ever. Garage doors, fasteners, towers, structures, warehouse systems, skyline, on down the list. Uh, this amazing product diversity positions Nucor uniquely to take advantage of strength in a variety of the market segments. Uh, as Dan mentioned, we see strength in advanced manufacturing and data centers supported by IRA and CHIPS, uh, infrastructure supported by the IIJA. We also see strength in healthcare, education, and warehousing while down is still forecasted significantly higher than, than pre-pandemic levels. Our ability to offer this breadth of downstream products is, is unparalleled in the industry. Uh, these are secure, sustainable solutions for our customers and partners that continue to differentiate Nucor as the supplier of choice. Uh, yeah, we're coming off a period of, in 21 and 22 of extremely high demand. Uh, and while we see demand moderating back towards historical levels, uh, it's still quite strong. And while volumes have moderated, our backlog remains uh, very healthy. And pricing has stabilized at levels far higher than historical averages. Um, in fact, Q4 industry-wide bookings in Joyce and Deck were the highest in six quarters and 40% higher than Q4 of last year. Um, so we're optimistic, and we're entering 24 with more market activity and momentum than we entered 2023. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Kurt.
Our next question comes from Katja Jancic with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you for taking my question. At your investor day in 2022, you provided an EBITDA bridge that would get you to normalize EBITDA of about $6.7 billion. Can you provide an update on how you're progressing on reaching that goal? Yeah, I'd actually be pleased to. So in November of uh, 2022, we stood in New York and, and rolled out the most comprehensive, detailed analysis that we've ever published before to show you as the analyst what we were going to do and the accountability by which we were going to hold ourselves to that that through cycle EBITDA with the completion of our CapEx investments would yield about a $6.7 billion through cycle EBITDA performance. I tell you, at 7.4 for the third best year in new quarter, we're doing really well. And that's going to continue to improve because not all those projects have come to fruition yet. We've got gout lines being built. We've got our new micro mill being built in Lexington, North Carolina. We've got the investments in um, Kingman, Arizona that we're making. We're, we're expanding our, our resource pool and how we uh, bring these products to market. So I would tell you we're, we're doing incredibly well. And, again, we'll we'll look back at, 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 at times and, and look our – are we coming out of the cycle? Did we hit the trough? And what I would tell you is like, I'm, I'm really proud of our earnings. I'm, I'm proud of the uh, the way the team has been able to accomplish those. And then, again, the, the results that we've been able to see, you know, as we shared with you on the opening remarks, um, you know, to generate $30 billion over the last four years, $20 billion in net earnings and 10% or $10 billion given back to our shareholders has been um, an incredible well-disciplined growth strategy, and that's going to continue. We're going to be very disciplined how we think about capital allocation moving forward. Steve, anything you'd like to add on, on as we continue to, to grow and looking at that run rate in 6.7? Yeah, uh, Katya, just to add on to what Leon said, you know, a lot of our, a lot of those projects are still ahead of us. If you take a look at some of the biggest ones in our company's history, like West Virginia, um, those are only in the early stages of uh, of their project life, so they haven't even started to started to contribute. And um, in terms of our expand beyond investments, we told you that we felt um, confident those investments would hit 700 million in EBITDA, and uh, we still we would reaffirm that today. And uh, tell you we feel very confident we'll hit 700 of their run rates at the end there. So there's still more to come in that. And um, like Leon said, cycles go where they go, but um, we're continuing to execute on our business on all fronts. And maybe just quickly on the Brandenburg plate mill, what do you? How much do you expect the mill will produce in 24? I think previously you you were expecting about 500,000 uh, tons. Yeah, this is Albert. That's still our number for for 2024. I, I would expect to be there or north of it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just super proud of that team and how they've worked through the ramp up there. We we continue to be focused on the new part of the market that we can't service out of our existing portfolio. But we remain mindful of uh, the returns we generate through there at, at Hertford and Tuscaloosa that, that contribute to the strong results you see in front of you. And we want to add to that out of Brandenburg. So we're going to continue that thoughtful process. But uh, Q4 was a meaningful, productive quarter for that team. We continue to set new standards. Uh, we shipped you know, another new core first of 120-foot-long plates to a bridge fabricator. 30 tons a piece. We ship them by truck and by rail. 
So th these are the kinds of things that we'll be able to do out of Brandenburg that's never been done before by Newport or, or perhaps the rest of the industry, and, and we're just excited as we roll into this year. But that, that, that remains our number, and we're confident in that. Thank you. Thank you. The next question comes from Timna Tanners with Wolf Research. Please go ahead. Yeah, hey, good morning, team. I um, wanted to ask a little bit more about uh, capital allocation. Um, I guess first off, the comment on uh, lower cash um, balance, uh, what, what do you think is the right level? Because uh, clearly it's been running kind of high recently, so just to get a little more color there. And secondly, you made mention of um, preserving liquidity for potential M&A and acquisition that you thought could happen and didn't. And here at an industry conference, there's a lot of chatter about Nucor's um, supposed uh, involvement in the acquisition process for U.S. Steel. Just wondering if you can comment on that or, or give us some more color, perhaps, on your M&A pipeline, what, what that might look like, uh, what types of companies, et cetera. Yeah, Tim, I'll, I'll kick it off and then let, let's see. So I'll, I'll begin with the second part of your question, which, you know, again, obviously the proxy's out. Nucor took a hard look at some of these select assets within the U.S. deal portfolio, but at the end of the day, um, you know, we're, we're not going to overpay for any assets. We're, we're going to continue to be very disciplined in how we think about growth. Um, you know, some of the cash generated was just stronger results and, and stronger um, shipments and, and some pricing that had flowed through that uh, we, we didn't fully anticipate, but I would tell you, again, from my perspective, we continue to remain an incredibly undervalued stock as we think about the growth of metrics that I've already shared. Won't repeat again, but at seven and a half times EBITDA, um, I think we are a great value in terms of the things that we're doing and producing. And regardless of who ends up owning U.S. Steel's assets, you know, Nucor today's market cap is larger than the next three largest combined steel companies in North America. We are the industry leader, and so, again, as we look at our strategy and our growth, we're going to be incredibly disciplined in, in making sure that the investments we make in our core and expand beyond are delivering uh, the results our shareholders expect, and then the expand beyond particularly that is providing uh, some insulation to the traditional cyclicality of steel that we're looking for, the steel-adjacent downstream businesses that... Um, again, operate a little counter-cyclical to what we're seeing in, in steel, and we're seeing those, again, manifest themselves with CHI, um, the mega trends that we're seeing in towers and structures, and some of the other businesses that we've acquired over the last three or four years. Yeah, hey, hey Tim, this is Steve. I'll just add to what Leon said, that we don't, uh, you know, we have, we, we have such a good opportunity in front of us, and he highlighted the areas that we think about growth. So we're always going to keep enough um, liquidity to move on the things we need to move on. And uh, uh, we also highlighted that we will spend around $3.5 billion in CapEx um, in this year. So that's a higher rate than our historic averages. And despite that, um, we will, uh, we will. you know, Leon highlighted this one too, we still feel like our stock's a good buy here. So you'll see us at a, a higher pace for share buybacks in Q1 than we did last year. Okay, that's super helpful. Thank you for the color. I guess one quick one, if I could add. Um, I know there's a question already about Brandenburg run rate, but I was just wondering, is there still more room to see Gallatin on an annualized basis ramp up, or is it already pretty pretty fully running out um, with the expansion? Thanks again. Sorry, so was your question on Gallatin's ramp up? Yes, the status of that, if you could, please. 
Okay. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll provide some high level. What I would tell you in the last three or four months of uh, 2023, the team has executed incredibly well. We've seen daily, weekly, monthly uh, production records set at that facility. They are, um, have realized the full run rate potential of that mill and now are operating at an extremely high level. So they have turned more than turned the corner and again are producing um, at or near run rate capabilities and will continue that as we move into 2024. Okay, thanks again, appreciate it. The next question comes from Bill Peterson with JP Morgan. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi, good morning, and uh, thanks for taking my questions. Um, so I guess first on the plate market, I guess what, what are your views uh, on the plate market given the step up in service center inventories we saw in December and the year-year decline in shipments despite, uh, you know, Brandenburg's ramp? And I guess, you know, following up on that Brandenburg sort of ramp uh, uh, commentary, when can we expect to see Brandenburg turn profitable this year? Yeah, thanks, Bill. Um, this is out there again. I'll, I'll comment on the on the plate stuff. Uh, we did have an increase year over year in shipments, uh, um, about 11%. Um, and part of that is, of course, Brandenburg. But uh, you know, just speaking about the plate market overall, you know, uh, I'd say we're reasonably optimistic. I mean, there's areas of of weakness that get some headlines, and and higher interest rates are a compressive force when it comes to vertical construction where plate is used, but. There's plenty of bright spots in other areas like power transmission and rail car manufacturing. Uh, heavy equipment is still strong. It's probably declining, but it's still strong and a good pull through for us. So, uh, and then of course you've got the bridge and highway tons that are mostly yet to come, and that'll come for years in the future. So, um, you know, our skyline business that Brad mentioned pulls a lot of plate tons through. Almost all of their work is infrastructure related, not just bridge and highway, but but many other types of projects. So. Uh, you know, our, our, our view is not that the plate market is going to be wildly uh, robust, but it's going to remain pretty steady and has plenty of tailwinds to offset, offset some of the other forces working against us. And on the Brandenburg profitability timeline? Uh, I'd expect we'd hit a run rate of break-even sometime in the middle of the year. Okay, thanks for that. Second question is a little bit longer, longer dated, longer focused. But um, you know, in the last two earnings presentations, there's been certainly less on the decarbonization uh, efforts. But you know, with the team having you know many a multifaceted approach uh, across biocarbon, green pig iron, the CCS program you mentioned, power generation, zero emission iron, and so forth. I guess are any of these showing up in 2024 uh, within your investments in, in capex, for example, the CCS program that you have planned for 26? I guess, how should we think about these programs in terms of what's leading and, and, and how they flow through over the next several years? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll begin, and Greg Murphy, our EVP in business services and sustainability can, can jump in as well. And I'll, But from a high level, look, it, it's a great question. You know, one of the beautiful things about Nucor and our positioning is as one of the top five recyclers in the world and certainly the largest in the Western Hemisphere, our EAF steelmaking technology means that we don't have to take the billions and billions and billions of dollars of profit we're making in pivot, in transition from the old-style integrated facilities. You're seeing headlines around the world, companies in Europe that are have made the pledge to 100% switch to EAF steelmaking technologies because they have no choice. The the you know the, the question 
in my mind, isn't about and if, you know, this nation is going to move to a greener, more sustainable platform as we rebuild, reshore, and continue to grow the digital economy. The real question in my mind is the pace in which we changed. Do we have the infrastructure? Do we have the grid hardening? Do we have the resources um, across the United States to be able to effectively help the EV users power their cars at homes and, and everything else? But it's a long-winded way to get to the answer of your question. As you think about the um, the VPPAs that we're part of, you think about some of these investment projects, the Louisiana Partnership in Exxon, they didn't cost us anything because of the strength of our balance sheet, the strength of Newcore's leadership position. It wasn't a huge uh, alley of cash. You think about some of the other investments, they're, they're smaller in size, so they're not you know, they're tens of millions rather than hundreds or billions. It's, it's, it's positioning ourselves and finding partners out there that are doing different things with um, carbon and biochar. We're looking at technologies um, in Europe that are producing pig iron at or near net zero um, uh, embodied carbon. So there's, there's a number of things that we're examining that are not, at this point, large scale from a CapEx standpoint. Greg, anything you'd add to that? Yeah, I guess on the timing issue, you know, we see the Louisiana project beginning to pay dividends probably in 2025. Um, but as Leon said, that is not at all a capital-intensive investment for Newport. Uh, we were able to structure that as an over-the-fence solution, uh, working with a, a partner who really understands the geology and the petrochemical attributes there in ExxonMobil. And with uh, the 45Q tax credit, uh, that, that has proven to be a financial winner for Newport, uh, really from beginning to end. And, and a lot of the other strategies that we will deploy as an EAF producer uh, go to things like our, our source and supply of raw materials and how we can get lower embodied carbon raw materials, how we can use uh, obsolete scrap and extract some of the tramp elements from that and use that to replace things like pig iron. Uh, so, you know, from a capital intensity standpoint, uh, Leon nailed it. Uh, we are in a, a well-positioned place, and really what we're trying to do is to take a world-class level and make it even better, uh, and uh, we're very, very excited. I, the last thing I would mention is uh, Scope 2 emissions. That's a big opportunity for Nucor. Uh, you've seen us make investments in both uh, nuclear fission and nuclear fusion technology. You know, we believe that's going to be a, an essential element in delivering reliable, affordable baseload power in the future that's zero carbon. Uh, that's still going to be a number of years out into the future, but uh, we believe it's going to be absolutely essential to supplement the solar and wind and other renewable clean sources in the future. But again, we don't want to build nuclear power plants. We want to be the off-takers and use that power. Thanks for the comprehensive answers, and uh, you know, good luck uh, ahead here uh, with the execution. Thanks, Bill. The next question comes from Martin Englert with Seaport Research Partners. Please go ahead. Hello. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. A question on conversion costs. They were pretty similar year on year, around uh, four sixty-five per ton. Just wanted to see if, uh, what your thoughts were if this was a re reasonable range to expect on a go-forward basis considering today's operating structure, 
or is this something that has an opportunity to come down as startup costs uh, start to subside from some of the growth projects? Yeah, this this is Dave Fuzzy. Certainly, some of the uh, the growth projects, uh, especially Gallatin, has uh, you know that, that that's increased our cost based on on some of the things that we've done up there, and some of the, uh, the, the you know it was a little bit slower of a starting than we had expected. So uh, we we can expect the costs to come down a little bit, but not 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 a lot. And Gallatin's running at a really good rate now. Um, Leon said we're probably near. Near near full run rate, so we're we're going to be in a good spot this year. Okay, and uh, I just wanted to circle back on the discussion of plate and structural, and this is from the mill perspective, looking at the plate volumes and the beam volumes. Um, there was just year-on-year divergent trends when you look at the quarterly where you saw plate come down uh, in 4Q but had been growing, and then you had the opposite in structural products. Anything else to add there as far as color as to why those would have pivoted so differently through the course of the year? Sure, Martin. Hey, this is Albert again. Uh, I'll start with plate. You know, so yeah, year-over-year year growth, but you see same quarter year-over-year, year, we, we took a step back. You know, a lot of that is just we're not going to chase cheap tons. And uh, in Q4, we had some imports come in, and, and those spreads just got to be where uh, we're not going to load our books with, with tons that aren't profitable and aren't going to drive returns for us. So uh, I think that'll change as we move forward. And, uh, you know, I spoke to our outlook for 2024 in plate. In beams, yeah, you saw a, a really great quarter in beams. Part of that speaks to the resiliency of the market. And Brad spoke to that. We, we spoke to that. Uh, it just remains a resilient market, and there's plenty of areas of strength where we can go and compete and win, and you see that. But Part of that is also the breadth of new course portfolio, and, and some of those tons you see in the Bean Group are tons to our downstream customers, Skyline being one of them, that, that won some nice projects, and, and you'll see them ship those tons through the first half as they convert and, and perform. So there's just always, you know, new course success is a multi-layered story. Uh, there's always a cylinder firing, and the numbers that you see, I, I think, just reflect that, especially on the Bean side. I appreciate the color. Thank you, and congratulations on the long-term return profile. Thank you, Martin. The next question comes from Tristan Gresser with BNP. Please go ahead. Yes, hi. Uh, thank you for taking my questions. Uh, the first one uh, is on capital allocation, and thank you for, for touching on the, uh, the, the M&A uh, situation. If I could just have a quick follow-up there. Uh, when you look at the pipeline of opportunities, uh, is it fair to assume that most of, well, all those opportunities are uh, inside the U.S. and you're not looking at opportunities abroad. Uh, and in the past, when you, you, you look at the uh, the balance between organic and inorganic, uh, I wonder if you could comment a, a little bit where in the priority list uh, greenfield projects you, you are, essentially. That's my first question. Thank you. Yeah, Tristan, I'll, I'll kick it off and certainly let's see. Uh, lacks in share any additional comments, but you know, if if you as you look at our um, M&A pipeline, you think about our our strategy as we think about growing the core and expanding beyond. You know, what we've said is roughly we expect over the next five six years 
that we would begin to generate about 20 to 25% of our overall revenues through expand beyond businesses. So we're, we're moving to that. So it, it sort of gives you a, a rough breakdown to where you're going to see us continue to, to think about growth, where we're going to continue to uh, channel our our, uh, our capital dollars. You know, regarding the uh, geography, I would tell you, yeah, it's probably a safe bet that Newport is going to stay in North America. Though that That's the sector of this economy that we know the best, where we have uh, the most advantages to use the strengths of Newcore from our culture, our team, our conversion model, and understanding as the market leader in 12 of the 14 major steel market end categories. Um, we've been in business a long time. We understand the, you know, the, the, the boundaries around um, this industry, and we also understand our customers and where they're wanting to go. We're making investments not for our benefits. We're making investments not to be the largest by volume. We're being disciplined in those investments to create capability sets that our customers continue, continue to grow their businesses and continue to flourish. All right, that's uh, that's helpful. Moving on to maybe the, the rebar market, can you discuss a little bit the demand trends you, you've been seeing there over the past uh, couple of weeks? And we've seen the price hikes coming through, uh, putting an end to, to some metal spread compression. Uh, do you see any reason on the ground to expect uh, further moderation, or do you believe the market is now find kind of a, a new equilibrium there? Thank you. Yeah, Tristan, this is John Hollitz. Uh, we did see some improved margins and rebar in the fourth quarter. And over the course of the year, uh, you know, rebar remained pretty steady um, as we've talked about these infrastructure projects and, and other demand and construction continuing to grow. We're, we're bullish on the rebar market for the future. Okay, uh, that's, that's clear. Maybe the last question then on plate. I know it has been discussed a bit, but um, in your outlook, the, the weakness you're seeing in heavy equipment or earth-moving machinery, how, how new is that? How severe is it? Uh, and in terms of outlook, I think uh, you, you mentioned uh, something. You said it would be steady. Uh, should I understand it as weakness, those incoming part of portion of weakness being offset by you know, more supportive construction infrastructure that is coming on. Um, yeah. yeah, Tristan, Al, again, is your question primarily just around that heavy equipment piece? I want to make sure I get that right. Yeah, the, um, the kind of the, the red dot uh, you, you put uh, in your uh, in the table, and that includes heavy equipment, earth-moving machinery. So, so some weakness you're seeing there, just trying to figure out if, if that's new and if it's severe. Uh, and then when you look at the outlook for metal spreads for plate, uh, they've been pretty steady in January. Is that something you, you expect to continue? Or do you think that weakness you just flagged is, uh, could potentially imply some further moderation there? Okay. Uh, let me let me address the heavy equipment piece. My comments about it declining, I wouldn't say are new in terms of the decline in that sector. That, that's been happening through the second half of the year. Uh, I wouldn't say we see that as a really strong decline going into 2024 because there's obviously, you know, with infrastructure, there's going to be some spending in that. 
uh, end use market that will keep that somewhat buoyed, but we, we do see it continuing to decline a bit as one of several end markets where we serve with plate. So all of that put together with with non-reds construction and, and some of the other highlights that we talked about uh, in those markets, our, our outlook for plate is, is relatively uh, optimistic just in terms of small uh, like low single-digit incremental growth year over year, that there's plenty of different parts where we can compete uh, separate from the ramp-up that we'll have in Brandenburg, but we'll grab some incremental times just by that alone. Is that helpful? Yes, that's really helpful. Thank you for the call. Thank you. The next question comes from Kurt Woodworth with UBS. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks. I just had a, a quick follow-up on, on capital spending outlook. So of the uh, growth capital you've outlined for this year, how much of that will, will carry over into next year? And can you just remind us on the timeline of when you think Steel West Virginia will start to ramp? And then you also noted a potential, I think, new micro-mill bar project in the Pacific Northwest. If you could just comment on that. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Kurt, this is Steve. The uh, $3.5 billion projection is our expectation for tw uh, 2024. And I think if you're trying to extrapolate what future years are going to be, some of those projects like West Virginia are, are going to push our capital spending into 25 higher than historic averages. But uh, likely, you know, if you're penciling out something, it's probably below that $3.5 billion if you're trying to look for a direction. Um, but north of three, if I would if I would guess. And uh, in terms of when West Virginia is completed, um, it'll be uh, uh, in 2026. So that you know that's a project that'll keep going for for some time for us. And then, Kerr, your your last question on you know the exploration of the Pacific Northwest. What I would tell you is we're doing just that. Again, it's a market we've been in for for two decades. Um, you know, our, our team in Seattle continues to do an incredible job, and, and again, we're going to continue to evaluate that market, um, recognizing the customers that we serve in that market, and uh, where, where does that most make sense, and yeah, stay tuned. Great. Thank you. This concludes our question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Leon Topalian for any closing remarks. In closing, I just want to say thank you to our Newcorp team members for another great year in 2023. As we begin 24, let's make sure we take care of our most important value, the health, safety, and well-being of our Newcorp family. Thank you to our customers for the trust you placed in us with each and every order, and thank you to our shareholders for the valuable capital that you entrust us with each and every day. Have a great day. The conference has now concluded. Thank you for attending today's presentation. You may now disconnect.